Welcome to Atmospheric Tales, a podcast that amplifies stories and experiences related to air pollution and climate change from around the world. I'm your host Shahzad Ghani and welcome to another episode of Atmospheric Tales. Our interviewer for this episode is Isabella Suarez. She is the Southeast Asia Analyst for the Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air. Her research focuses on the region's trends and sources of air pollution as it relates to energy. Formerly, she was at the World Resources Institute as Strategic Engagement Coordinator for the Global Commission on Adaptation. Our guest today is one of Indonesia's leading experts on air pollution, climate change and forests. She holds a PhD in Environmental Engineering from the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago in the US and is the head of the Air and Waste Management Research Group at Bandung Institute for Technology, the oldest technology-oriented university in Indonesia. I'm excited to welcome our guest, Professor Pooji Lestari. Welcome to the show, Isabella and Pooji. Thank you, Shazad, for the introduction. So Indonesia is the world's largest archipelago and fourth most populated country. It is an incredibly complex and diverse place, and that's reflected in the conversations around the issue of air pollution across the country. There's the urban conversation that's mainly centered around Jakarta. In 2019, the annual average air pollution levels measured in PM2.5 in the city surpassed that of Beijing, according to an annual report by the Swiss technology and monitoring company IQ Air. Then there's the huge issue of forest fires and peatland burnings, which is tied to rapid deforestation in the country, driven by commercial demand for cash crops like palm oil. Professor Puji, you are someone with an immense body of research in both these areas, but for today, we're going to focus on the latter topic. Can you start us off by introducing the peatlands and their local and global significance? It's nice to talk to you again in this program. Indonesia has the fourth largest peatland in the world after Russia, Canada, and also the United States. And also Indonesia is the biggest tropical peatland in the world with the total area of 21 million hectares. And about 60% of it is located in Sumatra, Kalimantan, as well as in Papua. And we know that in Southeast Asia and also in Indonesia, the peatland area usually is dominant for the agriculture and uh, the common practice of the slash and burns methods is being used for land clearing in Indonesia because that's easy and also cheap and also very fast too. So that's why they do this slash and burns and causing the pit fire in Indonesia and also the Southeast Asia. And as we also know that the peatland frees up large carbon, which has lasted for thousands of years. So when the destruction of peatland caused by the land clearings, the drainage, and then fires that occur most in Indonesia, in Sumatra and Kalimantan almost every year and could lead to a large amount of carbon release and also maybe thousands of toxic air pollutants emitted to the atmosphere from these heat fires. And when that's happened, you know, that's become very significant and important issue locally as well as globally because they will affect to our neighbor countries. Yeah, absolutely. You were able to give us a really big overview of how big the peatlands are and how significant they are to the local population. 
When and why have the peatlands become an epicenter of the air pollution discussion in the region? And in your opinion, how has the conversation evolved with public concerns around health and climate change? Well, the Indonesian peat fire has become uh, one of the international issues relating to transboundary air pollutants because of the haze coming from the peat and then it's become transboundary air pollutants and also caused the global warming impact of the uh, carbon emitted from these activities. And peat fire emits a large amount of the carbons, especially carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide and methane, which could cause climate change. And uh, also emit huge amount of particulate matters, especially PM 2.5 and other toxic material to the atmosphere, which cause negative impact to human health. So that's basically why pit fire has become the epicenter of the air pollution because the impact to health and also the climate change. In 2015, UNICEF reported about 80,000 during the three-month period cases of the upper respiratory illness in Riau province in Sumatra is due to the haze. During the pit episodes, emission concentration of PM2.5 could reach 5,000 micrograms per cubic meters. Very, very high concentration at that time period. I was visiting Kalimantan in 2019 during the episodes, and the concentration in the hotel was would reach like 300 micrograms per cubic meter in the hotel. And then we have to like seal all the windows and all the hotel's rooms to get out from the smoke. And then we put the air purifier. That's why it's very, very dangerous effect of the PM2.5 or smoke from the pit fire to health. And actually, it's not only health and climate change impact of the pit fires, but it's also they have also social and economic impact because due to these fires, people around could lose their job as well. And also uh, disruption on the transportation and all the activities nearly closing down is a huge impact and not only for health and climate change, but for the economic as well as for the social impact. You can imagine how people live nearby with a simple house that might smoke and nitrate into the house and get exposed to the people living in the house. So that's very difficult for everyone during the pit fire. Yeah, that's really such amazingly high and dangerous numbers. One of the things that we often do at GREA is we quantify the economic costs related to health and air pollution around the world. And that's not just limited to future health impacts as a result of high exposure to PM2.5 and other dangerous pollutants. So the impact that we have here and now, how that might affect productive hours of people and that affects right. their ability to provide for their families. Air pollution is one of those issues that is happening in the here and now, but also has those really big climatic impacts that make it like a dual contributor to really devastating environmental issues we have facing us today. The haze episodes and peatland burning is something that's often talked about as a periodic or seasonal impact. And you mentioned, you know, visiting and having work on the ground. Is mm -hmm. that the case for these communities that live in and around major peatland areas? Is there a time of year that it impacts them or is it all around the clock, 365 days a year? 
Yeah, no, it's usually it's seasonal. During the episode pit fire, maybe three months, like the dry seasons, like August, September, October is, I think, is the peak of the fire that's occur at the time because I was there and also have difficult time to stay. But well, I see some people still moving around there, you know, because maybe they feel that's already common for them to get exposed to the smoke during that period of episodes. Right now for the regular days, I think we all came to Palangkaraya one day when they don't have the fire. I think it's the normal condition they have. But during that periods of the three months, they're really, really bad. So land use change and forestry that's tied to this issue of peatland burnings accounts for usually more than 50% of Indonesia's greenhouse gas emissions consistently. And to me, peatland fires is one of those issues that are so puzzling because it seems like a no-brainer that it's a really urgent issue that we should be addressing. And there have been efforts like the Red Plus Initiative, which is an international effort to reduce emissions from deforestation and forest mm-hmm. degradation. And there's also strong local initiatives like the moratorium that bans clearing of primary forests that has actually shown to decrease deforestation by 45% in 2018 compared to 2002 to 2016 numbers. So it sometimes it's really baffling to me the scale of this problem. But then I also remember what a huge economic industry is driving these peatland burnings, both locally and also you know globally in terms of how cash crops contribute to the global supply chain. Indonesia is the world's largest palm oil producer, and the demand for the commodity has only increased uh, over the years. So what, in your opinion, is the biggest challenge in tackling this problem as it relates to the economy? I know that there's really a big challenge in, in Indonesia also in tackling this problem. And I think we all know that because, as I just mentioned before, that what is causing the fire, because it's also human activities, actually. So that's also not easy because there's also issue of on business interests. So there's a business interest issues that also causing other people's life in dangerous. The pit fire is also the nature of the pit itself. When the one fire could go deeply under the surface and they're still burning underground and then they have to spread out underground and then where we could not really see actually the spreading of the fire under the ground, then this also make it more difficult to control the fire itself. The business issue is still there, but the current government has been tackling this issue very seriously. In 2016, I think the government of Indonesia forming the Indonesian Pit Restoration Agency. We call it PRG, Badan Restorasi Gambut, Pit Restoration Agency. PRG had also been credited as one of the key factors contributing to Indonesian low deforestation rate in the three years periods. This one is start after 2015. Actually, the 2015 is the biggest episode, pit fire. But then the 2016, the government formed the PRG. And then I think the PRG also working quite well with us all planning. And then the next three years, I think we did not have the fires. Only my piece small, but we don't have the big fire until the 2019. So at least in the period of three years, we actually do not have fires. And then 
2019, we have a quite big fire, although not as big in the 2015. And then 2020, we don't have the pit fire. This is because maybe of the COVID pandemic, so there is no activities for the land clearing and things like that. But I think the government has strict regulation and with law enforcement and also raising awareness to people. Yes, I absolutely remember in 2015, there was a huge conversation about peatland burnings because the haze from forest fires had spread all throughout the region, reaching as far as Thailand and Singapore. Mm. And so there was a huge glamour for action to address this problem. And as we mentioned before, peatlands play an outsized role in the phenomena of transboundary haze. But this is also a phenomenon that's quite difficult to understand how pollution from one area can affect you hundreds and hundreds of miles away. So I was wondering, what has the challenge been for you in communicating on this issue? Have you seen common misunderstandings around peatland as a source of air pollution in your time talking about and being an expert on this issue? Well, from our perspective, we know that it's going to happen because when you have the haze coming from the peatland, it certainly will affect the, our neighbor countries. So we know that's actually. But again, we still have problem of communicating this, even with the, the neighbor countries. And then also neighbor countries always also complaining to us when that's happened, of course, because they are affected by the smoke from our regions and also, we know that we cannot do things when the smoke is coming. As air pollution expert, we have to prevent the air pollution is going out from the source. Then it's beyond our control because of the meteorological condition. And this issue, it's not very easy to explain this because everybody, of course, blaming us with this situation because I know the sources in Indonesia, of course, but coming to Singapore and Malaysia as the biggest impact. Philippines, not that much. Malaysia, Singapore, and also Thailand, they keep always blaming us, but nothing to do about it when the case is already out from the source. The air pollution is coming out from the source is beyond our control. So that we know that it's very difficult. The only things we can do is we try actually our best to prevent the fire so that there's no haze coming out from the pit. But I think I consider that the current government is successfully doing this because after years, then we don't have these issues. Well, I know it's a bit tricky and a bit difficult. And also, actually, we have to give the understanding to local people, especially uh, raising awareness to the people that what you did will affect other people. It's not only for yourself, but when you do the slash and burn, and it's not affected your area, it's not only affected yourself, but it's the whole area, the whole regions, and also cross the boundaries. So, that is also very important to give the awareness or raising awareness to the public as well. Yeah, that really resonates with me, having to differentiate often from local sources of emissions and transport pollution. It's a, definitely a balance and it requires an increased understanding of the local sources and also the transboundary sources, how that might be affected by seasons, La Nina, El Nino, and all of those things. Yeah, yeah. So. 
the science is a really important driver here as well and trying to gain more understandings on the different characteristics of the sources. And so I actually wanted to ask you about a report that you recently published, I believe in the last year. It's entitled Characterization of Carbonaceous Compounds Emitted from Indonesian Surface and Subsurface Peat Burning. It's a really interesting report. And one of the findings was that fires in peat layers could spread radially due to peat structure. And they've emitted substantial amounts of aerosol as well, which is something that your team looked into. You collected peat samples from different levels of depth from the western part of Kalimantan and actually burned them in a combustion chamber. I love hearing about how these are conducted, but you mentioned in your report that the results may actually contribute to filling in the gaps of the available emissions factors around peat fires in the country to improve the existing particulate matter emission database. Can you briefly discuss the results and the significance of it for our audience? It's very important for us and also for, I think, for scientists, for other scientists, because this is why we also take it a different depth. It's like different uh, surface and subsurface, because as I just mentioned, that when peat has uh, different structures, they burn underground as well, and then they also spread and then to the other location, and we cannot see it's under the ground or below the surface. That's why, and we may think that uh, different depth has different uh, carbon contents of the peat because also when you think about peat burning it's not thinking about only how many area or hectares but how deep is it also because it's when you think about deep that's mean also burning going down deeply underground or under the surface and then that's why it's very important that we also doing the research and determining the emission factors for subsurface as well. Because when we found the surface and subsurface, there might be some difference. That's what I think. And we know that a peatland fire is also a dominant source of the particulate matter, especially during the haze periods. As you mentioned earlier, that what the emission from the contribution from the pit fire and how important is the pit fire, especially in determining the total emission produced in Indonesia, because you just mentioned that the contributions of from pit fire is also very big to the greenhouse gas. And one uh, key factor to determine the carbon emission estimation from the pit fire is the emission factor. So that's why we try to always characterize a different sources for the emission factor to fill the gap of the local emission factor, of course. And also beside that, the emission factor from pit fire, it's very important because there's not so many studies on this research because of difficulty. I think you have to go to the field during the pit fire is not very easy, actually. And then also... Uh, these emission factors, local emission factor, can be for the tropical, it's not only for Indonesian, but for a tropical peatland, I think, can use these emission factors to reduce the uncertainty and also uh, could improve emission inventory locally as well as globally. So I think that's why it is very important on this research. And also, actually, when you mentioned about the organic carbon, why it is organic carbon is also very important. The PM 2.5 emitted from the plant has specific characteristics. It's different than PM 2.5 emitted from other sources. 
PM 2.5 emitted from the peatland has high contents of organic carbon. That's why we also have OC in, in this uh, emission factor because about 70% of the PM 2.5 consists of organic carbon. So this is very important that our research could provide useful information to evaluate the contribution of the peatland fire aerosol to air quality, especially in Southeast Asia, of course. And also, we are now in 2019, as I just mentioned, we were there doing the measurement as well. And hopefully, we could publish a field work, the emission factors in near future. I think it's very soon because we also just finished completing the speciation of the PM 2.5 from the field work. Yeah, that's amazing. And that sounds really exciting and really important work. I think the difference in the characteristics of PM 2.5 from this area is one that was a really interesting finding for me because I also imagine that there are different implications or risk factors involved with it in terms of health. So in addition to this, I know that I don't know if you're currently working on it or if this project has closed, but you were chief investigator on a project about satellite observations to improve monitoring and forecasting of severe smoke pollution over Southeast Asia caused by the Indonesian landscape burning. I'm also interested in hearing what are the various tools that are becoming increasingly available or that are available to us that we should be capitalizing on to improve in monitoring and addressing the problem of peatland burning. Yeah, I think that publication is to improve and to make it easier because, you know, going down measurings and doing the direct measurement is difficult. It's not easy. It's so many things that constraint of the direct measurement. So you're seeing the satellite data and you're seeing the prediction emission, but of course it's based on our work previously then also could make it a better prediction in the future. So our work in collaboration with King College London was start in 2019, but in 2020 was pandemic. So we stopped at the moment. So hopefully when the pandemic is over, then we could continue the work on that issue. No, that sounds really important. Yeah, COVID has really disrupted a lot and included in this is academic research. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's you know obvious to everyone that you've had a very long and accomplished career in this field. Um, so I want to dive a little deeper into your own professional journey. So on your path, what first drew you to first academia and second to the air management issue? Yeah, when I took my PhD degree in the U.S., it was in 1993, so probably used in the elementary school. <laughs> I wasn't born yet. <laughs> so it's a long time ago. So when I took the TG in the U.S., the air pollution was still not a big problem. It was still not the issue in 1990s. It's still, even in Asia, also in Indonesia, it's still not a big problem. So when I came to the U.S. for my PhD, and then the challenge in developing countries, and it's like in Asia, water and sanitation was still the main environmental problem. So it's not really air pollution at all at the time. 
when I was in the US and I looking at how people in the US working on air pollution and uh, also my professor working on the research project on the air pollution and how important is the air pollution and the impact to human health. Then I'm thinking about maybe not now in Indonesia and Southeast Asia, but in the future, there will be a problem, similar problem in the US. But it's also, and I realized that there's no expert at the time on the air pollution. So that's why I'm changing my mind. When I came, I was thinking to learn about the water and wastewater engineering, but then I changed my mind. So I have to take the air pollution because maybe when I come back, that the problem is starting. So that's why I work on air pollution subject in the U.S. And then also actually it was surprising me. And the time when I was doing the research, my professor told me that I'm the first female PhD student working on air pollution for him. So he said that I have many uh, students from Asia, from uh, this no female student. So you are my first female PhD student working on the air pollution. So I was like... Oh, and then it's very important to be expert on this area and it will be very useful to the country as well. But then it's true at the times, I think I travel a lot because of this work, also invitation, because there's still not so many experts. And the time is when the professor Kim and me actually traveling around to the US or nearly everywhere for the conference because of the work of air pollution and there's still not so many people working on it, especially from the Asia or Southeast Asia. And actually for me, being the academia is also very, very good for me because it's more uh, flexible and then it's more having time. You could do what you really want to do. That's also a good thing being the uh, academia. And then of course, as a woman to move forward to the career, it's not that easy as you have family to take care of too, right? So then it's also not easy, but well, I'm very lucky because my husband, uh, my daughter, they're very supportive for my career. So I think that would be no problem. My entire life since 1993, when I was in the US, until now I'm working on air pollution. So it's already many, many years uh, working on this area and then doing a lot of the, as I just mentioned in the beginning, that I'm doing a lot of the characterization and chemical species and of particulate matter emission from different sources in Indonesia, from agricultural residue burning as well. So we're doing that one. I have two PhD students working there and one is already graduated actually on the agriculture residue burning. And then for the pit fire is also have one PhD student also working there and it's already graduated. And then two master students still working with the pit fires and also working for the source apportionment for Jakarta. And then, you know, pit fire is only one source, but you still have many other sources for air pollution that we have also to tackle too not only the pit fire, but in the urban area like transport and then also industries, coal power plants, and still a lot of sources that we also need to work on. There's so much to unpack there. Yes, you can dedicate a whole episode into the major sources of air pollution in Indonesia and in the rest of the region, definitely. And there's also that aspect of being a female scientist um, at a time when it was a rarity. I think for me now, my hope is that the path that you and other 
female scientists and academic experts have placed, it's not going to be as difficult of a decision for um, other young women in this field. Thank you for sharing that. We've discussed a very complex <laughs> and huge problem. For you throughout your career, what were the wins that you clearly remember as a female scientist and administrator, but also as a woman from the Global South? Well, what is the win? I think every work is win, <laughs> winning for me because I always do my best in every project. So I always just try to dedicate it, uh, the times and effort to every work and every projects, even in helping the national government in developing the emission standard for some industries as well. So we always doing that very seriously. I could not remember just specific win, but I think everything is win for me because every work I do, every work if I commit to do, then I have to do it very seriously and then also have to do it very successfully. So once I'm doing things, then I have to be successful in this project or in this work. So that's why all things I think it's winning for me. That outlook definitely explains a lot. Thank you so much, Professor Pushi, for having this conversation with me about your own personal journey, but also the story of peatlands in Indonesia. Well, thank you also, Isabel, for being with me. And it's nice to talk to you too for this program today. With that, I would like to thank our guest, Professor Pooji Lestari, and our interviewer, Isabella Suarez, for joining us on this episode of Atmospheric Tales. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and share.